He is risen. Okay, let's try that one more time. Yeah, yeah, okay. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hey, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Welcome to our Easter morning worship service. Um, I'm going to open with a, open in prayer for us. Oh God, who for our redemption gave your only begotten Son to the death of the cross, and by his glorious resurrection delivered us from the power of our enemy, grant us so to die daily to sin that we may evermore live with him in the joy of his resurrection. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live, and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of the righteousness, that I may enter through them, and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Christ the Lord is risen today.
Testament reading, Acts 10, 34 through 43. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and, and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on the tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, Colossians 3, um, 1 through 4. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. If you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, then, then Christ is your life appears. Um, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is the word of the, word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, we are so glad that you're able to be with us today, um, and we just wanted to say that even though we're not able to meet together, uh, that we are still able to give and to support the work and the ministry of Cordova Church of the Nazarene. So we are going to put up uh, right here on the bottom of the screen at least four different ways that you can give. Uh, you can mail your check-in, you can come by and drop it off, you can give online through our website, or you can give, uh, you can give through the app. Uh, tithely.com. All those ways are, are great. They're successful. They're tried and true. People have given that way, um, and we found them to work. So we hope that you are, are able to find a way to continue to contribute, um, continue to give. If you're new, if you have not worshiped with us before, or maybe you've been worshiping with us for a while and you feel like, man, I need to get a little bit more involved, we would love for you to send us an email, um, message us on our Facebook page, you can go to the uh, cordovanaz.com, find the Contact Us page. We'd love to stay in contact with you. And if you're new, we'd love to actually just kind of send you something to say thank you for joining us. So um, please, my name is Pastor Jeff, and uh, I would love for you to drop me a line and try to connect, especially during this time when we're so cut off and isolated from one another, sort of by necessity, uh, that we would be able to make a connection that way. So thank you. God bless. Let's continue to worship.
separated until the veil was torn the moment their hope was born and care was parted once and for all captivated but no longer bound by chains left down an empty grave the sinner and the sacred resolve and all of creation sing with me now lift up your voice and lay your burden down and all of creation sing with me now fill up the heavens let his glory resound when time is fading and we see him face to face every doubting grace Forever we will worship the King. And all of creation, sing with me now. Lift up your voice and lay your burden down. And all of creation, sing with me now. Fill up the heavens, let His glory resound. The reason we Praise the Father, praise the Son, and the Spirit in one. And all of creation, sing with me now. Lift up your voice and lay your burden down. And all of creation, sing with me now. Fill up the heavens, let His glory resound. And all of creation, Sing with me now, lift up your voice and lay your burden down, and all of creation, sing with me now, fill up your heavens, let his glory resound, and every knee will bow, oh, and every tongue, praise the Father, praise the Son, and the Spirit in one. risen. I want to continue to thank all of you who participate through our Facebook group, gathering and helping to lift up our prayer requests for our church family, for the world, in thanksgiving to God. Shall we come to him now in prayer on this day of celebration and rejoicing? Lord our God, we are thankful this morning as we come to you knowing that you are the God who breathed all things into existence, that we get to look every day in your constancy at the sun, the moon, and the stars that you have made that are just the glimmer of the splendor, of the light, of the glory that you have and are. Lord, we want to continue to give you thanks for your goodness and bringing this water to water the earth, to making the thirsty and the dry ground fill up with pools, with springs of water. Continuing, Lord, to give you the thanks for the sky, for the air that we have to breathe, for 
the way that you turn this whole place into a garden with plants springing forth, bearing, Lord, fruit, bearing um, new, new life, new buds. We want to continue, Lord, to give you thanks as we come into this warmer and sunnier weather for being able to go out into the good creation that you have made. And yet also, Lord, we come to you in this moment of rejoicing and of celebration, being able to offer all that which has not yet been perfected, wholly redeemed and reconciled in you. We want to lift up, Lord, this morning all the nations, all the peoples across this wide earth that are experiencing those forms, Lord, of sin, those, those forms of brokenness and of being um, lost and alone. We want to intercede, Lord, for those that are hungry, for those, Lord, that are thirsty in this world, for those, Lord, that are in places of conflict and turmoil. We want to intercede, Lord, for those that have found themselves abandoned in family, for the widow and for the orphan and for the stranger. And yet, Lord, as we lift them up to you, we also sing your praises and rejoice this morning for your son who himself was forsaken, who knew thirst, who knew hunger in this life, has risen from the dead and ascended to be with you. Lord, we want to pray for your church in all places, for those that you have gathered and made already as the messengers, sending out this good news, echoing and refrain from mountain to mountaintop. For those, Lord, that gather this morning, being able to sing that, that one uh, song, that one word of praise everlasting with choirs of angels and archangels. And yet, Lord, we confess that even here and even now, there are those in the church who are unable to gather through persecution and through oppression. Those unable to gather out of fear, Lord, of disease, of pandemic. Those, Lord, who are unable to gather because of sickness in their body. Those separated and isolated, Lord, for other means. And yet, Lord, we're able to rejoice and to sing your praises this morning because your son, who has risen from the dead, has gathered all peoples, all languages, all tribes in himself, and now pours out his spirit to allow us to be at one communion with all peoples, both the living and the dead, in this moment. We want to, Lord, continue to lift up those that have been appointed into government, into places of authority, who are overseeing us in the midst of the trials and the tribulations that we face. We want to pray for them, Lord, even as they may have made mistakes or errors in judgment, even as your wisdom and your discernment allows them to make good judgment. And we want to continue to give you the thanks, Lord, and rejoice with all the saints this morning know that, that your Son, who has died and now risen from the dead, is Lord of all nations, reigns over all peoples and kingdoms. Lord, we want to continue to pray this morning for the hospital workers, for those who are in the midst of caring for the sick, for those who are ill, for those who are dying, knowing that your son in his life and in his ministry tended to the sick and brought forth healing and deliverance. And even now, Lord, as he has died and risen from the dead, through the power of his spirit, brings health and salvation to all those through his instrument in this world, the church. We want to, Lord, continue to pray for businesses and people that have lost their work in the midst of this crisis, but also being able to give thanks to you and rejoice in this moment that through your Son who has died and risen from the dead, that his work that shall not end until he returns once again to bring the completion of his kingdom and invites all of us into his work until we encounter that Sabbath rest and going out to 
collect to gather the harvest of the nations. We want to continue, Lord, to ask that that work might continue, that you might draw us forth into it. We want to continue, Lord, to pray for all those who have been isolated in the midst of this, for Stella, for all those in these nursing places who might be able to experience what it's like to be isolated, alone, and abandoned, even as your son was at the foot of the cross. And yet now, Lord, we praise and we rejoice with you who has risen and visited his disciples that were likewise locked in a room alone to speak that word of peace, to speak that word, Lord, of you having gathered us once again with all of your tribes, with all peoples and all languages. Lord, we want to pray this morning for all those who are sick. We want to pray for Michael Purley, for um, Debbie Green's daughter's boyfriend's mother, Debbie, um, in the midst of facing bone cancer. Lord, we want to continue to pray for Kathy Sosa's friend, Herman, also facing cancer. We want to continue to pray for Jessica Vieira's mother, Robin, also facing cancer. I want to continue, Lord, to pray for Christina Laporte Cox's dad in the hospital right now, unable to see his children. Continuing, Lord, to pray for Jackie um, Pearlie as she recovers from uh, the, uh, the stress fracture, the hairline fractures that she has in her hips. Lord, we confess that your son this morning was more than enough to overcome those things, and yet even more so than that, you conquered the wounds, the afflictions that he experienced in his body to raise him bodily once again so that his disciples might see and touch the wounds and the scars that he has and know that they have been healed fully in you, redeemed fully. We ask, Lord, that you might do that work once again in your servants, in your church, and in your world as we know you have been faithful to do it. We want to, Lord, continue to pray for those in this world that yet remain unrepentant that yet remain lost in despair, in, de in depression, in sorrow, in resignation, in cynicism, knowing that your son preached good news to those that had abandoned him at the foot of the cross and called and invited them into this new life that he himself was a harbinger of as he was raised from the dead. Lord, we want to continue to pray for the sick, for the departed, for those that have lost their lives through corona and through other means knowing that it was your son who went and descended to the dead to preach that good news and yet also speak that better word as he himself was raised from the dead as the first fruits for all of creation. Lord, we're able and we're left in this moment of prayer, knowing in the depths of this world and its brokenness that we yet have this word of unbroken praise. This confession, Lord, of this good news that reaches us this morning that you have conquered all things, and yet you will conquer all things in us and through us. Lord, we lift up all of these praises, these petitions to you this morning in that spirit of thanksgiving, even coming from a place of pain and of woundedness, asking, Lord, that in this great confession, as we offer up our lives, the things that you have made and worked good in us and those things that yet have to be, that yet remain to be perfected in us. Allowing, Lord, receiving um, the goodness of the forgiveness that your Son alone can offer and praying, Lord, that we might be perfected in walking that same path of surrender and obedience in him. Might you receive our prayers, Lord, and might we receive that great prayer of your Son. Hear, listen, and obey it in us.
We pray all this in his name, who lives and reigns with you now and forever, in the Holy Spirit as one God. Amen. Our gospel reading this morning is from John 21 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid, where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know it was Jesus Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her, the gospel of our Lord. Well, welcome. It is great to be here. Um, it's great to be worshiping. And of course, we are, we're always sad that we're not able to be together, but it's so good to be able to have this, uh, this technology to connect with one another. Our, most of what I want to say today is out of Colossians 3. Um, and if, if you're not, depending on how much you know about Colossians, you'll know that at the beginning, um, there's a, a really famous hymn that is written about Christ. Uh, and, and in it, it, it reveals uh, at least two different perspectives on Christ. And I think even the gospel passage today gives us yet another. There's, there's a lot of 
Easter especially, there's a lot of perspectives out there. I don't know, I haven't checked, but I'm sure the History Channel just ran a special on it. I'm sure a lot of people have been um, doing things to try to use this time of year to make a point about who Jesus is. But Scripture has a very clear understanding of who Jesus is. It often is at odds with the way that the world sees him. The first is that he is the Christ of Israel. He is the Messiah. That's what Christ means. It means the one who is chosen for a special purpose. That he's the Messiah of Israel, the one who comes in order to accomplish the saving work of God through the people of Israel. He fulfills the promises of the prophecies. He lives into all of those things that Israel had looked forward to. As we sang in our song today, is the one who brings the nations in. It is through Christ that the salvation that is made available to Israel through Abraham is broken open and made available to all peoples everywhere. The other perspective on Christ is that he is this kind of cosmic Christ. And, and you're going to get this in, in Colossians 1 verses 15 to 17 where it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the one who is there at creation. In fact, he's, he is the word that John 1.1 1, 1 talks about. He is the word that God speaks in order to bring creation into existence. And as such, when he dies on the cross and is raised from the dead, he is enthroned over all powers, all authorities, all dominion, all thrones. He is the one who brings all authority to heal. What Colossians 1 actually says is that all of those powers were made for him in the first place. Every presidency, every kingship, every queen, every local authority, every state official, every father and mother in a household is exercising authority that was ultimately created so that it might give God glory through Jesus Christ. This is what we call the cosmic Christ. He's the Christ who is over all. But then there's this other picture of Jesus, this other personal Christ. And, and the way that it just jumps out to me in today's gospel passage is that here is Mary, and, and we know that she's gone to the tomb early, early, early on Sunday morning. Jesus died on a Friday, and they weren't able to anoint his body the way that they wanted, so they go instead on Sunday morning. They gave him, they took Saturday off, the Sabbath, because they were good, observant Jews. And so the women go as soon as they can on Sunday morning. And when Mary gets there, she, she looks into the tomb and she sees two angels and speaks with them. They tell her that he's not there. And then she turns around and she's speaking to who she thinks is the gardener, even though it's actually Jesus. And she says, I'm looking for my Lord. I don't know where he is. She's torn up. She's, she's lost. Not only she has she lost him, but now she's lost his body. She's lost his, his life and his role in her life. She's lost him as her leader. And now she doesn't even have a place to go. His tomb has been desecrated. That's what she thinks. But it all comes, it all comes into focus for her with one word. 
Jesus simply says, Mary. And, and I love that because obviously as the gardener, he shouldn't know her name and he doesn't know her name as the gardener because he's, he is her Lord. <laughs> but also it's, it's Jesus speaking her name that brings it all into focus. He not only knows her name, but when it's on her lips, she knows the way he says it, it could be no one else. So Jesus is this Messiah, this Christ of Israel. He's also this creator, this cosmic Christ over all creation and over all authority, but that doesn't make him any less this personal Christ who knows you, who knows and sees me, who calls us into intimate friendship with himself. For some of us, that's a little uncomfortable because it means that we've got nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. You can't get away from Jesus by going into your bedroom and thinking, well, he can't see me here. This is my personal private space. You can't get away from Jesus for, by trying to retreat into history and, and into the history of Israel and, and of the church and trying to retreat into that sort of intellectual space because he is Lord over that as well. You can't get away from Jesus by leaving this earth and even moving out into the cosmos somewhere. Jesus is Lord over all. And he will reach. He will reveal himself to you. And yet, we don't get it. Peter and John don't get it. Another part of my, one of my favorite parts of that passage here, they're in this race. Uh, they run they run to the tomb. John gets there first but doesn't go in. Peter shows up late and he just goes right into the tomb to find out what's going on. It says in verse 9 that they did not understand from the scriptures that he was raised. They still had a blankness, a misunderstanding about what had been prophesied about Jesus and what was coming to fruition in his life. Mary Misses it, of course, until, as we said, until there's this reveal that this is actually the Lord in front of her. The Colossians missed it. In the church at Colossae that Paul writes to, there apparently was some sort of teaching around that was removing people's focus and worship and attention and love and affection from the Lord himself, from the gospel that they had heard preached to them. And instead, they were wanting to, to change their attention onto a kind of legalism. We don't know exactly what it was, but we know there's mention of keeping certain feasts and certain days and doing this with the Sabbaths and the new moons and going back to an older form of worship as though Jesus had not changed everything. There's even sort of some confusion maybe about what it meant to be physical, about what it meant to have a body. And because of that, it seems like the Colossians had gotten caught up in this, this way of doing things that was really just full of themselves, was full of their own activity. If I can pray enough, if I can fast enough, if I can try hard enough, then God will love and redeem and accept me. And Paul's there to say, that's all been taken care of. 
That's all been handled and dealt with on the cross. You don't have to work hard to get saved. The salvation is there for you. Of course, it requires all, of, all that you are to come into that in its fullness, but you don't have to accomplish it. The work has already been done. So I wonder, what about you? What gets revealed to you when you come up against this Christ? You know, we often discover things about ourselves when we're put into the ringer, when we're put into hard times, when we are pressed. And I wonder if you've reflected at all on what this pandemic, what COVID-19 has meant for you. What have you discovered about yourself by not being able to go out? By not being able to go to the places that you normally go to or go to those sources of comfort that you might normally go to? Have you discovered a weakness that makes you uncomfortable? A fear maybe that you didn't think was there? Or has it revealed a faith has it revealed a trust in the God who is Lord over all, even sickness and death? Has it revealed a hope in God who brings us through all things, who, who knows that this is not the first time the church has suffered and gone through something like this? And so we can see that even though it's difficult now that there is something on the other end of this, that God will be faithful to us. Has it revealed a love for your, your family, for your neighbors? a desire to be close to them, and a longing to be in deeper fellowship with them. See, what the cross means, and it's, it's what Paul goes to say in Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ, if you have been raised with Christ. Now, he's not writing, and he himself has not died and been raised from the dead. The people he's writing to have not died and been raised to the, from the dead. So what does he mean? If you have been raised with Christ means that when Christ goes to the cross, in some sense, he takes all of us with him. In some sense, he takes all of our humanity, all humanity that is, because he's the Lord over all humanity, he takes all humanity to the cross with him. Because he's the authority over all creation, he takes all creation to the cross with him. And so when he is raised from the dead out of the tomb, we too are raised. We too come out of that tomb. We too are raised to life. When Christ died on the cross, he died that you might be freed from your slavery to sin. When he was raised from the dead by the Spirit of God, he... He was raised so that you might be raised up to that same glory. We talked about it on Good Friday. The Gospel of John sees all of these events, Christ's crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension that will take place in another 40 days. All of them he sees as one event that he calls the glorification. Christ's being lifted up. He's lifted up from the earth to the cross. He's lifted up from death to new life, and then he's lifted up from the earth to be at the right hand of God. It is this rising and ascending, and it's not just for Jesus of Nazareth. 
This rising and ascending, this even this suffering that is ultimately redemptive is something that we're called to participate in. We're called to die with Christ. We're called to be raised into that life. We are invited to be in that with Jesus. And so, Paul says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He has this image of Christ at the right hand of God, meaning that he holds all authority in his hands, right? God, who is the creator, who is being itself. Everything that is only gets a little bit of who it is from God. It only exists because God says it can exist. And Jesus is the top authority. He's the one at the right hand. He's the one with all power. And so... We ought to have our minds set on Christ. Seek those things, Paul says. And then in verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. This is the same, he's saying the same thing twice. And yet, how often do we see Christians? How often do we ourselves discover that our minds are not set on those things that are above? Our minds are set on the things that are on earth. We're worried about earthly things. We're worried about earthly concerns or earthly pleasures. We're, we're worried about doing things in a way that other people are going to recognize and lift up. But here's Paul. Set your mind on Christ. Set your mind on the things that will persevere and stand the test of time in Christ's presence. When your mind is set on those things, when your life is seeking after those things, then you are in sort of the space of the eternal. And I just wonder how often are we exposed as a people whose attention, whose focus, whose minds are in the muck, they're in the mud, they're in things of earth. They're in stuff that ultimately has no value because it's not anything that will be preserved in the presence of Christ on high. I don't mean that Christians need to always kind of have our, what's the old saying, be, be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about being so super holy and super pious that, that you just are, you think you walk two inches off the ground. What I'm talking about is those things that we do do in this world. Will they ultimately be the things that are preserved into eternity? Or are we going to find that they'll be burned away in the judgment? Are they participation in the things of Christ? Or are we just hoping that Christ is going to bring us into his eternal life despite us not doing, having anything to do with that here and now? There's an old story. I'm sure you've heard it. Uh, it was in the devotional that we were doing as a part of our small group at the beginning of Lent. But it's the story of a man, um, and I don't even think it's true, 
<laughs> but it illustrates some things. It's the story of a man who's been doing construction for the owner of this construction company for years and years and years. And he's coming to the end of his career. He tells the man, I'm done. I, I'm, you know, I'm kind of finished here. I'm done building houses. But this is his really gifted, skilled worker, and, and he's, he's poured a lot into him. They've been a part of each other's lives over the years. So he says, I want you to build me one more house. We've got this important client. Um, I'd really love you to just, you know, money's no object. Uh, just go get this thing built. But the guy's tired. And he's worn out. It's the end of his working life. He's just like, man, forget it. So he does the job, but he does it cheap. He cuts corners. He buys the cheapest materials. He's just slapping things up here and there. It's not, it's not his best work. It's kind of his worst work because he's just rushing through it. He just wants to get to his retirement. And as he finishes this house and he goes and he tells his boss, hey, I'm done. I'm completed. I did it. Here it is. And the boss hands him back the keys. Happy retirement, he says. You're the man. This house that you've just built is a house I'm giving to you. And of course, the message is to pour yourself into these things because ultimately, the work that you do, it's, it's not that it's yours. It's not that legalistically you create your future life. No, it's, it's that God takes pleasure in returning those things to us. God takes pleasure in pouring his life out for us and giving us those gifts and what we might discover is that the quality of our attention and our focus here has a lot to do with what comes eternally. So Paul says, set your things, set your mind, set yourself on those things which are above. And it can be tough. It can be tough to do that. It means that we have to develop a virtue, one in particular. It's the virtue of hope. That we've got to become a hopeful people. If we're not a hopeful people, we simply end up looking and seeing all the stuff that's around us and we just see the problems with the world. God, why don't you fix this over here? Why don't you make my life what I want it to be? Why don't you fix my family, we just despair in all of these things, but Christ has called us into hope. And what, what is hope? Well, hope is being able to set ourselves, set our minds, set our hearts, set our love and our affection on something that is yet to come. We can see through the weeds to what God is bringing. We can see through this sort of light and momentary struggle to the fact that there is an eternity that's on its way. And of course, I, simply, I don't just mean like an eternity that just lasts forever and ever and ever. I mean an eternal sort of blessed happiness. Life in God that doesn't end. That's eternally good, eternally rich, eternally deep. And that eternity even here begins now. And yet we can become so consumed with the things of this world. We can become so consumed with our difficulties, with our home not being what we want it to be, with our job not being what we want it to be, with our own health, with our own struggle and suffering. 
that we lose focus on what God is working through and in us. How do we hope? The number one way, I think, that we hope is that we start to have friends. We can't live a hopeful life alone. We can't live a hopeful life cut off from other people and cut off from the world. That we live a hopeful life because we know that there's a community that we belong to, that a community that doesn't just, I didn't create, I didn't invent, I've just become a part of it. And a community that I've been called into. I'm living off of what those in the past have set up for me, and I'm establishing something for those who will come after me. My life has purpose, it has history, it has meaning. But not only that, we know that in that friendship, there's no friend like God. And even for those who are isolated, even for those who are cut off by their own choice or not, God is a friend to all. And God, by his spirit, doesn't see physical proximity as a problem. He's able and eager to be with us all. And so then what we do, as soon as we realize that we're not alone, that our life has a context in which it's set, then we begin to desire, and this, this is the core of hope, but I wish I saw this in our church communities today. We begin to want nothing less for ourselves than God wants for us. So often our problem, our, our, our problem with a lack of hope, with a lack of focus, is that we don't actually want for ourselves what God wants for us. Our dreams for our lives are not the dreams that God has for us. They're, they're dreams that we've set for ourselves or that somebody else gave us at some point in our life. But God wants to see a holiness and a light burst forth out of your life in the same way that it bursts forth out of Jesus as he comes out of the tomb in the same way that Jesus himself becomes this message. You are called to be this message and this messenger to the world. Desire nothing less than what God wants for you. Desire nothing less for your family than what God wants for them. Desire nothing less for your church than what God wants. As we begin to do those things, it will build hope in us. Because all of a sudden, we're not, we're not trying to construct our lives. We're trying to discover what God, who is the creator, has called our lives to be. We're discovering something that's far beyond us. And so our everyday existence becomes a joyful opening of this gift of God's life. Finally, we set our eyes, we set our heart, we set our soul, we set our effort on those things which are above. And the ultimate thing, the thing that Christ is calling us to, I, I can't wait. I can't wait till all of this is done and we come together again as a church and have a potluck and just spend time seeing and connecting with each other again. And the same thing is going to go on in the kingdom. The ultimate thing that we are called to, the ultimate higher thing 
things above that we are called to is this marriage feast of the Lamb where Jesus Christ will host. We'll call all of us to that table. Invite all of us into that life. It's this forward-looking feast that is yet to come. And every meal, every time we worship, every time we sing out a song and raise our hands and thank God for the ways that he has hosted us in his life today, all of that is just a taste. It's just not even a mouthful. It's just a bite of that feast that is to come that will be never ending. Christ is calling us into that life, but we've got to set ourselves, focus ourselves on that life, knowing that it's the light that is drawing us forward through all of this momentary struggle, pain, difficulty, hardship. So a couple things that you can actually do today. Because real hope always has its feet in the ground, right? It doesn't have its eyes in the ground. It doesn't have its nose in the mud. But it has its feet on the ground. It's not wishful thinking. If you want to be hopeful especially to live in Christian hope. The first thing is to give thanks, to be grateful. And the number one way that we can be grateful is to worship. Worship in and of itself, we're all worried about this, this sort of line between what's essential and what's not essential these days. Worship in and of itself is often useless. It doesn't bring a whole bunch of economic value. It doesn't kind of establish itself. It's people coming together and singing songs that they've already sung before, reading scripture that they've already read before. Why is worship important? Because without gratitude, without thanks, without pouring ourselves out in thanks to God, we are nothing. We're nothing. Number one way you can be hopeful is to give thanks, to worship, to bring yourself before God in devotion and praise and thanksgiving. The second way, once you've done that, give, give something away. <laughs> give it away. Give, give it away to your neighbors. Give it away to your family. Give it away to strangers. Give it away to somebody you don't know. Give it away to someone you do. But give it away. Find a way to take these gifts that God has given you, whether it's material, financial, maybe it's just a smile and being kind, but we take those things and we pour them out into those who are around us. And we don't just do it in a limited sort of way. I mean, there's all kinds of attention. When there's a hurricane, when there's an earthquake, when there's a pandemic, there's all kinds of giving that goes on all across the globe. Right? Nonprofits take and process and give away all of this money. But the church, we want to call you to be here when the cameras go away, when the lights are off. We want to challenge you to be there in that kind of kindness and affection and attentiveness to one another and to those outside of our community when no one's looking, when no one knows what you're doing. And the final thing I want to ask you to do is to do it in the real world. To give thanks and to give it away, but to do it in the real world. 
we all have identities that we sort of construct and make and we have people sort of see us this way. Maybe it's online. Maybe it's just we have a certain face when we, that we put on when we go outside the door. But I want to ask you, I want to call you, I want to challenge you to do those things in the real world. Do them with people that you can look at. Be creative in finding ways to keep that sort of social distance there, but to continue to give that life away to somebody who needs it, to give that encouragement away to those who need it. To reach out with a call and not just a text. To knock on a door and drop off a meal or a package of children's activities. Do it in the real world. Because, Paul tells us, you have died. But he doesn't just say you've died with Christ and then been raised with Christ. He says your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He's talking to believers. If you're not a believer today, if you're not somebody who has trusted in Christ for that life, if you're somebody who's trying to deal with their sin themselves, if you're trying to deal with your own burdens yourself, would you give your life to Christ? Would you let him be your Lord? Would you let him be your Savior? He wants to and died so that you might be forgiven and freed. Would you allow him to do that? If you are a believer, if you are somebody who has trusted in Christ, if you are somebody who's given yourself over to him, you have an identity in him. It's an identity which he holds, which he has even hidden away with himself. And when he returns, that identity will be revealed. And so we have a time now, we have a chance to make sure that that identity that we're building is one that will last. It's not one that's just a, a shoddy house that's been slapped together really quick and that we have to live in the rest of our life. No, this is an identity. We have this chance to build an identity that reflects and participates in the eternal glory of Christ. My prayer today is that you'll do that, that you will pursue hope, that you will pursue faith, that you will pursue love in everything that you do. Set your minds on those things which are above, friends. Would you pray with me? Lord God in heaven, you have been good, you have been kind, you have been merciful to us in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you and we praise you. We want to ask that we, you would show us how we might hope in you. And for anybody, Lord, who has not made you the Lord of their life, who has not made you the king over their decisions, who has not set themselves on those things which are above, for anybody who has neglected or failed or been fearful, Lord, to do that, even somebody who's been in the church their whole life, would you pray with me now, Lord Jesus Christ? I want to give my heart to you. I want to give my life to you. I want to turn myself over to you. Come into me, change me, take my identity and hide it within yourself so that when you return, 
might discover, Lord God, that you have been good and gracious, that I've been living in your eternity even when I had no idea that's what I was doing. We pray it in Jesus Christ's name who lives and reigns one with one God, the Father and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. Set your mind on the things which are above. Pastor Jeff beautifully illustrated in his sermon this order between the earthly and the heavenly, the physical and the spiritual. One of the gifts that God has given us in this physical world is to have bodies. And even our eating, our resting, our working can all become these means, these conduits of God's grace if, like a block of marble, we allow them to be shaped and chiseled in such a way as to reveal God's beauty and glory. But one of the really remarkable things that I think Pastor Jeff unfolds in his sermon is that God's grace and God's love cannot be obstructed, it cannot be limited by the physical. And so in this moment, as we turn together to the communion supper, I hope that you'll join me in being able to speak these words of thanksgiving and of blessing over the church and over the world that God has made as a means and a way of being drawn up into God's life, for truly God's grace can be communicated to all of us, just as Christ himself is not bound by our physical bodies or by this world, to come, to reach out, to gather, and to lift us back up to God. The communion supper instituted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a sacrament, a means of grace, which proclaims his life, his sufferings, his sacrificial death and resurrection, and the hope of his coming again. It proclaims forth the Lord's death until he comes. The supper is a means of grace which Christ is present by the Spirit. It is to be received in reverent appreciation and in a spirit of gratefulness for the work of Christ. And for all those who are truly repentant, forsaking their sins and believing in Christ for salvation, invited to participate in this moment here and now and in the death and the resurrection of Christ. We come to this place that we might be renewed in life and salvation and made one by his spirit. Shall we pray? Holy God, we gather at this your table in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who by your spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, set at liberty those who are oppressed. Christ healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He ate with sinners and established the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. And we live in the hope of his coming again. On the night on which he was betrayed, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ took the bread and after he had given thanks to you, he broke it. And he gave it to all of his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you. Eat. This is my body given for you. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup. And after he had given thanks to you, he gave it to all of his disciples, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood for the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many 
for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And so we gather as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and on this, these gifts. Make them by the power of your Spirit to be for us the body and blood of Christ that we might be for the world, the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world until Christ comes in final victory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, shall we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. This is the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, given unto everlasting life in him. Thank you so much for being with us this Easter. Um, we are hopeful that uh, this was encouraging to you and, and ultimately allows us to continue to be, uh, to serve one another as the body of Christ. Uh, we want to ask that you, if you find some sort of way, find a way to reach out to us, to connect with us. Um, we miss you as much or maybe more than you miss us. So we would love for you to reach out in some way um, and, and we're hoping to see you soon. All right. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Go in peace.